Uh, what, what do you make with, with the recent statements from, from Tesla regarding their affinity for LFP for, for at least certain vehicles going forward? Welcome back to Rockstock Channel and thanks for checking in. Before we launch into the interview, we'd like to thank all our Patreon sponsors. Please note, Rodney and me are not financial advisors or broker dealers. Nothing you hear in this video is investment advice. Please do your own research and read the disclaimer at the end of this video or on our website. Thanks again for the support and let's get into the video. Keith Phillips, CEO Piedmont Lithium. We are planning to build America's leading lithium hydroxide business. We're an American company uh, based in Gaston County, North Carolina, just west of Charlotte. We have hard rock spodumene uh, lithium assets in three very important locations. We have America's only integrated spodumene hydroxide project in Gaston County, again, 25 or 30 miles west of Charlotte. We have about now a 37% economic interest in one of Canada's largest lithium projects in Quebec, not too far away from critical elements. And we're earning a 50% interest in what we believe is Africa's best located uh, spodumene project and lithium project. From a corporate structure, we are listed on NASDAQ. That's our primary listing, about 80% of our trading volumes on NASDAQ. We're also listed on the Australian Stock Exchange market cap around uh, $900 million to $1 billion today and, and good trading liquidity in the stock and also a very strong cash position, $82 million is our estimated number at 9.30, September 30. Uh, we also have equity interests in Sayana, uh, an Australian company, and Iron Ridge, an AIM company, that at, at September 30th were, were worth about $143 million, just the equity interests, not the project interests. And we have strong research coverage. You can see we have 10 different firms covering us today all with buys on the stock and with target prices considerably higher uh, than we're at today. On the right-hand side, you see lithium hydroxide price history from 2016. Uh, and then the darker blue line here is, is the estimate we used in our most recent scoping update in June, which is based on the consensus of five different analysts. Um, uh, it's just fair to say, uh, you know, and we're, we're going to have a definitive feasibility study update in the next several weeks, and we're still wrestling with what price we'll use. Uh, but current spot prices as of uh, last week from uh, Platts Battery Metals were more like $22,000 a ton, but certainly in the 20s, even in the higher 20s is where we're seeing prices today. And I'm not really sure how that changes with the supply shortfall issue. So we're very bullish uh, on, on uh, lithium hydroxide prices. We plan to make lithium hydroxide from spodumene concentrate. You see in uh, Rodney Hooper's estimates from, from Marque Equity, uh, pretty strong growth in hydroxide demand relative to carbonate, eventually overtaking. The lowest cost way to make hydroxide is from spodumene concentrate. We believe spodumene is the preferred feedstock for the automotive companies and the battery companies. There's a new page we put together based on public information, just looking at the US market. So these are our announcements that have been made um, in, over time, including from Tesla and others. Several of them are quite recent. Some of them haven't yet decided on a location for their plant. Um, Stellantis and LG, Toyota, Fryer, Fryer and Coke had an announcement last week. But suffice to say, there are massive capital commitments being made in the U.S. Uh, battery business. And uh, we, uh, and if you look in the top right, you see a bar chart showing the lithium hydroxide we expect these plants will acquire by 2025 or so. And it's a lot. <laughs> so in Holland, Michigan, LG will need around 70,000 tons a year of hydroxide. The three different Blue Oval SK announcements in Tennessee and Kentucky will each need around 40,000 tons of hydroxide. Uh, I don't even know what this number adds up to, but it's a big number. Uh, down below, you see the possible U.S. hydroxide suppliers by the late 2020s. 
mid to late 2020. So on the bottom, Livent and Albemarle are the incumbents. Livent has 10,000 tons of production today in Bessemer City, North Carolina, down the road from us, growing to 15. Albemarle has four or 5,000 tons of production in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, down the road from us. That's not really a plant that's growing. Then you have our project, phase one is 30,000 tons. Standard lithium's phase two, they announced last week, would be 30,000 tons of hydroxide, but that would be phase two, probably the second half of the decade. Ioneer and Lithium Americas are talking about taking their carbonate business that they're planning to build and converting some of it to produce hydroxide. Suffice to say, the amount of domestic supply that could possibly feed the beast of the U.S. battery plants, and there will be a lot more announcements, uh, is going to be woefully short. And I think anybody who can produce domestically will have a very large advantage uh, from a, a supply chain perspective. So Piedmont Lithium, our flagship project is the Carolina Lithium Project, uh, again, in Gaston County, North Carolina. Uh, we had a scoping update this uh, spring. We'll have a DFS update uh, later this year. Uh, uh, we may, we'll have a mineral resource update soon. We've completed our uh, drill program, but we're in the 40 million ton kind of range uh, resource, very significant resource from a North American perspective. And we intend to produce 248,000 tons a year of spodumene concentrate and 30,000 tons of lithium hydroxide in North Carolina. And the economics in our scoping study showed about a billion nine after-tax NPV, 400 million run rate EBITDA, very significant numbers, obviously. Uh, we've made some important investments this year in Quebec in Sayana Mining, which is an Australian company, and their projects in Quebec. Um, and, and, and with Sayana, we acquired North American Lithium. So together, that's now the biggest uh, lithium, what I'm calling lith additivity lithium, the biggest lithium project in, in Canada, frankly. Uh, and we also made an important investment in Ghana in a company called Iron Ridge. We're going to earn a 50% interest in their really high quality spodumene project. And you can imagine us shipping spodumene concentrate from Ghana into North Carolina or Quebec or even elsewhere over time. Quick highlights on um, Abitibi and uh, Ghana before I talk more about Carolina Lithium. So uh, just on the right-hand side, you see the size of the different projects. Abitibi Lithium is a very large project. Now, there will be a consolidated resource update there later this year, maybe early next year. We'll see where the numbers shake out, but there, it's, it's going to be big. Uh, and what we really like, particularly about the uh, investment, is the location near Valdor. And you know, essentially on rail near Valdor, a major mining town, no fly-in, fly-out camp, close to the contractors and uh, trays that you need, et cetera. Uh, we're excited about that. And, and we, think, we think we can build a really good business there and ultimately be a big hydroxide producer in Quebec. So that's an important part of our plan. Uh, Ghana, there's a lot to say about this project. It's a, a small-ish but growing project now. It's very, it's relatively early stage. Uh, 14 and a half million ton resource today at 1.3%. We think that resource will grow. There's been some very successful drilling that's been going on. But what we like in particular, Ghana is a good mining country. This project's a mile from the coast. Now it's 70 miles by highway to this port you're looking at, which is the Takarati port. Uh, this is a major port. It's got double the uh, capacity of the Baikonur port, say in Quebec. So it's a very major port, uh, 70 miles from our site, really attractive. And uh, this is a high grade um, uh, project that'll be dense medium separation only, DMS only, so relatively low CapEx and OpEx. We're earning a 50% interest. We're very, very excited about it. Uh, and, uh, and then in, in Carolina, you can see we're on this green mineral belt, which is called the Carolina Tin Spodumene Belt. Virtually all the world's lithium came from this belt from the 1950s to the 80s. Two old mines that used to operate here and are now depleted. Uh, when the operators of these were, 
we were operating them. They built these two chemical plants that are now owned by Livent and uh, Albemarle. These are the only two lithium hydroxide plants currently operating in North America. We're going to build a meaningfully bigger plant than either of these up here uh, in our site uh, near Cherville. Uh, we're very excited about that. Uh, infrastructure here is incredible. There's no project in the world like it. Being near, you know, with two major railways, lots of lots of people, uh, good weather, reasonable, reasonably good regulatory environment, et cetera. So we're, we're very happy to be here. We think we can build a very large business. Um, a few highlights uh, we published with our scoping study on the environmental front. Uh, we'll have, uh, you know, carbon intensity of a business like this can be significant. We've made some real strong moves, introducing solar power, uh, using electric conveying to replace a lot of our diesel truck fleet, uh, using the Metso Autotech flow sheet as critical elements talked about earlier, and to really get our carbon intensity on a scope one, two, and three emissions basis to be a world leading level, you know, comparable to the Atacama where they use solar evaporation to produce lithium and meaningfully lower than the current Australia to China route for spodumene. Uh, equally, uh, you know, spodumene, the footprint of our project is dramatically smaller than a project in the Atacama Desert. They'll use 77 times more land in the Atacama Desert to produce the to per ton of lithium hydroxide. And importantly, they use about six times more, or sorry, about 20 times more water per ton of lithium hydroxide. And they do that in a region with very, very little fresh water. The Atacama Desert is the driest desert in the world. So where SQM operates, and this is a, to an inverse scale, it measures water scarcity, higher is worse. Um, so in Nevada, where some of the operations are very dry, uh, Atacama, very dry, Western Australia, I think this is a Pilbara number, that's a desert as well. Where we are in North Carolina, Ghana and Quebec really is great freshwater availability. We won't use much, and we're in an area where there's where water is plentiful. That's a big advantage. Um, we believe we'll be the world's lowest cost producer. We've shown this slide in the past, and the highlights I'd make on this page are uh, number one: um, integrated producers which should be lower cost than merchant producers. We consider a merchant converter a producer somebody who has a conversion plant, a hydroxide plant, say in China, where all of most of these are and they buy the raw material from another source. Um, so Eric talked, for instance, about critical elements in phase one producing concentrate, selling it to a converter. That's a great model for, for Eric because the, there's a lot of margin in the raw material side of the business. The integrated producers are lower cost because they capture that margin. And we're lower cost than all the Aussies. And we think the others, based on the data that's in here, I won't go through in detail. It's on our website in our presentations, but everything that goes into the unit cost of our operation costs less than it would cost in Australia everything. And there's a lot of things you need. So, but for fun, if you think of this cost curve, this, this we published in May or June, uh, use it as Roskill's cost curve and it uses Roskill's long-term spodumene concentrate price as the input to these conversion costs. So this, this shows the converters buying seven or eight tons of spodumene concentrate at 762 a ton per ton of hydroxide they produce. You flip the page, I, you know, for fun, we looked at this Pilbara auction and said, gee, at $24.40 a ton, spot prices, if somebody's paying $24.40 a ton, what happens to the costs of the integrateds versus the merchants? Nothing happens to the cost of the integrateds. We, 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 we attract all that benefit from 760 spot to 24.40 spot. We earn, we keep it, our costs remain the same. The Chinese conversion costs go through the roof. This is why lithium hydroxide and carbonate prices are so high right now. Raw material input costs are so high. The cost curve in China is now over $20,000 a ton at spot levels, at these levels. This is just illustrative. I think it's really interesting. 
And I think people need to really rethink how they think about what sustainable long-term prices need to be. If spots mean prices are a thousand or 2000 or 3000, and they're gonna to need to be quite a bit higher than they've been historically. Um, uh, we're advancing through the permitting process in, uh, in North Carolina. Some of you may have followed that. I think importantly, there was a um, new mining ordinance that was passed in Gaston County a few weeks back. Uh, we thought that was entirely reasonable and fair. There hasn't been a lot of mining uh, permitting activity in Gaston County in some time. They wanted to update things. Uh, they're imposing what we think are some very sensible limitations, most of which we would have dealt with and plan to do, do, deal with anyway. So we're happy they put these ordinances in place. Um, from a development perspective, our priority one for us is, is developing Carolina Lithium in, in North Carolina. Uh, we'll have a DFS later this year. We hope to be in construction kind of middle of next year. And, and we'll produce 30,000 tons of hydroxide with some extra spodumene concentrate, some excess capacity, it will initially sell into the market, but eventually will combine with our share of our production from Ghana to produce, say, maybe another 30,000 tons of lithium hydroxide. Quebec is a different development decision. We have a partner in Sayana we're talking to about a number of things. Uh, but you know, our plan is to become North America's leading hydroxide producer, and we control the resources now to do that, and they're all spodumene, which we like. Uh, what do you make with, with the recent statements from, from Tesla regarding their, their affinity for LFP for, for at least certain vehicles going forward? Listen, we think there's a role for LFP for sure. Uh, we can produce lithium carbonate, so we're, we're happy with that. We think their role domestically in the U.S. is meaningfully lower than it will be anywhere else. Um, you know, so I drive a Tesla. Uh, it's my favorite car I've ever owned. I'm currently in Florida, but I have a home in, in um, New Jersey, and I've gone back and forth in each fall and spring. And range is really, really, really important when you're driving, when you're driving when you're distances. Now, when you're, my car's parked in my garage here, it's not a problem. I can drive two, 10, 20 miles in the day or 200 miles in the day, no problem. But if you're making a long trip, um, uh, it's really important to have range. Uh, Americans are used to having big gas tanks and, and plentiful charging opportunities. And we think this will be a market dominated by high nickel. And we think every one of the battery plants I showed you will be an NMC plant. And we don't think those any of those are LFP plants. Some of the Tesla capacity maybe, but I think it's, you know, I, I don't want to speak for Tesla, but I think every one of those companies is going to have more announcements with more battery plants. So there'll be more economy. Um, my expectation. Thank you for that. Thanks again for your time, Keith. Really appreciate having you today. It's been an honor. Thank you. Keith, I published a note recently on, on Piedmont, and if you strip away the implied value of, of Piedmont's stake in Siona, Quebec, and, and Iron Ridge, and then take the equity shareholdings in those companies, the look-through valuation to, if you look to a stub being, a, you know, Piedmont's North Carolina lithium project, the implied value is extremely low relative to the NPV of that project. And that's even before you do your next updates. How are shareholders protected against an opportunistic takeover bid given the very low relative valuation versus other transactions we've seen go down in the market? Yeah, and that's a great question. And we certainly feel we're deeply undervalued relative to peers um, and, and relative to intrinsic value, uh, trading at a deep discount. Uh, 
And, and we think there's, I must say, we think there's great upside as well in Sayana and Iron Ridge, uh, particularly Iron Ridge, which it continues to be somewhat ignored by the capital markets, but we think that'll change in time. Uh, we are a public company, widely held. So by definition, like any public company, there's always an opportunity for somebody to, to come in. And I think our job is to, is to have the value crystallized in our own stock and, and to drive that forward. Uh, we're working hard to do that. Uh, the studies we think will help, will help with that. Um, I will say, just uh, editorializing here a little bit, I think the M&A activity is fantastic for the sector. Uh, you've got two major themes that I would say. Number one, you have important consolidation, people like Albemarle and Pilbara controlling big spodumene resources, Wajna and Altura's former resource, for example. That's very helpful. I don't think spodumene prices would be in the 2000s if Wajna and Altura were independently producing today. Uh, and also, you've got a lot of new entrants coming into the business. So a couple of years ago, Kidman sold to West Farmers. Uh, you have uh, Zijin last week um, announcing a big investment in Argentina and uh, Plus Petrol in Argentina as well. Utilities in Europe uh, getting involved. That's a great theme. We think we'll see more of that as well. So I think strategic activity will be high. That that time may come one day for Piedmont. It hopefully won't be soon, as you say. But I, I, do, I think if somebody were to do something aggressively with us, there would be a, a number of parties who would uh, take a very hard look. There's, there's a lot of strategic interest in our business. And just on that theme, though, uh, Keith, if you look at it and who's participating where, what we're seeing is a lot of Chinese interest in Africa and South America, and then outside of those locations it's really ex-china parties so i mean logically would you say it's fair to say it's it, it would have ex-china interest yeah i think in our projects um i think there certainly has been china interest in ghana and and we were competing with a chinese group we believe um, in securing that opportunity uh, I think it'd be a lot harder for the Chinese to invest directly in the United States, certainly, and, and probably even in Quebec, uh, time will tell. But I think, so I think the Chinese are less likely to be active in our jurisdictions. They are uh, thirsty, as you know, for raw materials. Again, the Chinese built their business as converters, buying uh, to some extent carbonate from South America, but more spodumene from Australia. So with spodumene prices rising, um, they're paying far higher input costs. Now their, their, their sales prices are going up as well, but they're not capturing that incremental margin. The in integrated producer uh, really captures that margin. That's what we want to be. Uh, but, so, but they're desperate just to get their arms around material because uh, otherwise they'll be unable to grow. They don't have enough in their own countries. So I think it's been great to see Ganfeng be so aggressive, CATL be aggressive, now have Zijin come in. Uh, it's great, yeah. From our perspective, having uh, the, the big guys, China is a big market. We're not; it's not a market we're going to participate in, but it's a very big EV market, as you know. Um, it'll it'll be a big lithium producer by converting materials bought elsewhere, and uh, I think it's healthy for the industry to have that consolidation going on. Yeah, we definitely agree on that. Uh, just talking um, about the spodumen. You negotiated very good terms on your additional 25% offtake rights that you have with um, Sayana Quebec, I believe. I think it's the announcement suggested, you know, a floor of 500 and a ceiling of $900 a ton. What's the sort of time frame on that right? When, when do you expect to be receiving material? 
Well, we're working with Sayana now. Our, we had a team of five people, five or six people up in Quebec last week. Um, so, uh, you know, as you know, Sayana Quebec, which we own 25% of, acquired North American Lithium, which is by far the most advanced lithium project in North America. Uh, it's so far advanced, it's actually built and has operated before and, uh, and was fully permitted, et cetera. So there's, there's some work to do to improve it and to bring it back to, to bring it up to the standard we think makes sense, we and Sayana both. So there's some work to do there. I think the timeline Sayana has guided to the market of early 2023 production is viable. Um, I think it probably wouldn't be sooner than that, but uh, it could take a little longer depending on how much we want to do to it. But I think I think for relatively low capital cost, incremental capital cost, to put that spodumene into production in early mid 2023 is viable, and and that's warp speed as you know in this business, and the timing should be really good. So. Um, that's that's kind of our expectation, and yeah, the 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 offtake agreement with Iron Ridge for that spot to me is purely market based. For Sayana, there is a floor and there is a ceiling. And uh, at the time we signed it, frankly, the floor seemed more relevant at at five hundred dollars. I think prices were lower than five hundred at the time, and now certainly the ceiling uh, seems more relevant. And we'll see how long that stays that way. I'm very bullish on spot to me prices. I think they could stay higher for longer. Um, I don't. I think. Spodumene market's really interesting. You have, again, Albemarle controlling Wajana. That's a massive deposit. Pilbara controlling Altura next door, which was an important producer three years ago uh, when the market turned down. And, ha and having that kind of material controlled by folks who are going to who are going to use it for their own purposes, I think is very is very good for the market. So, I think I think you're right. I think that offtake agreement may prove to be uh, the pricing may prove to be good for us. Is Sayona Quebec going to blend uh, material with uh, with North American lithium spodrum? Yeah, so Sayana's uh, asset, their core asset has been called OTA. Uh, and it is an asset that's kind of 15, 20 miles as the crow flies from NAL. So the plan has been, their plan had been before we got involved to blend the ores, use about 25% OTA material, 75% NAL material. Uh, that is their plan, that has been their plan, that is currently the plan. Uh, there'll be more test work done. A lot, lot has been done at SGS Lakefield in Ontario, um, and it shows the benefit of that. The OTA ore body is similar grade, but it's a you know, 30 meter thick ore body with far less um, you know, dilution, and, um, and it kind of improves the overall recoveries. There'll be more test work done on that, but that is the plan. So I think given how strong the market is right now, it's possible that NAL will start up on its own or at first without OTA being ready and, and blending would come later. That is still to be determined. And uh, we're working with our partners on that. There'll be studies that come out. We would think in Quebec, you'll see an updated resource statement, an updated reserves really out of, out of uh, kind of the Abitibi lithium hub, sort of OTA and, North, and NAL sometime later this year, early next year, and then a study, an economic study, study to follow that uh, once we've kind of worked out some of the details. And Keith, uh, Siona's recent acquisition of 60% of Moblin, does that change the plans at all? No, at least it doesn't for the time being. That's a good asset. We looked at it. It's, um, it's, it's in the northern part of Quebec near Namaska and critical elements in James Bay. Um, it is a, um, it's not that big today, but it has upside potential. It's good grade. Uh, so that's outside of our joint venture. So that's a Sayana standalone investment. And I think Mobland's earlier stage. Um, so I don't think it's the same kind of near-term production as NAL would be. Um, 
We'll see what happens in time. I mean, Sayana has a strategy to produce lithium hydroxide in Quebec. We have a strategy to produce lithium hydroxide in Quebec. Um, we're not, those are currently independent strategies, um, but we're close friends and, and we talk about a lot of things together. So I, who knows? I wouldn't be surprised there's a kind of broad kind of made in Quebec solution where we come together and, and produce a very large hydroxide facility in Quebec. Uh, there are other spodumene resources there, as you know, at least a couple of them appear to be focused on being spodumene producers and not hydroxide producers. So they could potentially have the material converted at a, at a large kind of world-class facility on the St. Lawrence Seaway. So that's something, you know, there, there's, there's lots of time to work all those details out. Sure. And I see um, Iron Ridge is progressing well. Um, we're big fans of uh, DMS only. Um, when can in investors, I know you've, your initial investment uh, to secure half of the, uh, of the project involved completing exploration and feasibility. When can investors expect to see an updated resource and feasibility study, NPV, all those things? So I think, you know, you're right. The IRR team is working hard on the ground. They have five rigs in the field at Umuya, um, kind of in the, their kind of Cape Coast portfolio in Ghana, which is, we think, a great asset. So they did announce drill results three or four weeks ago that were terrific. Uh, so presumably there'll be a resource update coming with a, um, I would think a pretty meaningful upgrade, but that, will, that won't be the last resource update. I'm pretty, we think this will become quite large. It's 14 and a half million tons at 1.31% today. So I, I, would, I would think the next resource update should take it over 20 million tons. And we don't, it's, it's too early to tell what the potential is. Is it 30, 50, 70, who knows? But we think it can be very large. It, is, it will be DMS only, it's very well located. Uh, our timing, we, you're right, we're earning into the project. So the first stage is for us to fund exploration and a DFS to a total of $17 million. Um, I think our timeline to complete that is two years. It might be three years, I forget. But we're, moving, we're going to move as fast as we can. We had a good call with them uh, earlier this week, actually. And uh, we're, in, we're, talk, we're kind of working with them on a daily basis. So um, we're excited about that. And then we are... Uh, the plan is for us to fund the first 70 million of capital for the plant, essentially. And again, I think this is a project that should be relatively straightforward to build and uh, should be a high quality, low cost, low capex, low opex uh, facility, a mile from the Atlantic Ocean, 70 miles to the port by a major highway, but um, really attractively located. Interestingly, we could get material from Ghana, from the plant in Ghana to our site in North Carolina for less transport costs that we can get the material from Quebec to North Carolina. That's the benefit of being so close to the port. So uh, we're excited. Um, uh, Iron Ridge is its own independent public company. Obviously, they're doing a demerger. They have gold assets in Chad and the Ivory Coast. They're demerging into a separate entity. And I believe um, you know they announced they're going to list on OTCQX in the US, which is great. I think there's some other things going on. So I think you'll see a pretty steady news flow out of them beginning um, later this year. And of course, if you're talking about that sort of uplift in um, in resource, uh, Keith, then you know there's a lot of scope for upside on their NPV, then which they used the much smaller, much smaller resource, and still had a fantastic uh, RR, even with a reasonably short, you know, mine life. The, the NPV was very solid. It was. I forget what what lithium price they used in that study, but six fifty, uh, I think. 
Yeah, I think that's right. So pres presumably we'll be using a higher price now, given what's going on in the spot to be market. And I think uh, longer mine life for sure. Throughput, I think we'll I, I would expect will stay the same, 295,000 tons a year. That's a big plant. Um, so mine life will go over 10 years if they're over 20 million ton resource. Uh, and again, grow from there. So with longer mine life um, and uh, stronger prices, the numbers are going to be fantastic. This is this is a really special project, and I think it's a company run out of Australia, with a technical team in Africa, but you know listed in London on AIM uh, with assets in Africa. It's not currently ideally positioned for the capital market. I think they're going to work hard to change that. I I personally think if if this were a standalone lithium business, spodumene business listed on the ASX, the market cap could be double, triple, quadruple very easily. Uh, looking at some of the peers, so uh, we're very optimistic and see big value in IRR. Absolutely. And uh, just uh, moving back to uh, to North Carolina, I saw there was a recent Gaston County ordinance update that was uh, encouraging it. Um, you know, what were the key parts relating to lithium mining and chemical processing in the area? So, you know, it's interesting. Gaston County has a long history, as you know, with uh, spodumene mining, all, all the lithium in the world came from the Carolina tithium, uh, tin, tin spodumene belt from the 1950s to the 80s. There was a big mine uh, in Bessemer City, a couple miles south of our project that closed down in 1998 or nine, operated for a long time. But those were developed in the 50s when mining laws were different. And, uh, and the county really didn't have an updated set of rules and guidelines for people to follow. And people like us and also people like the commissioners and others in the county. So they had to develop that and they did, and they hired outside counsel who we think did a really good job. They sought input from people in the industry to make sure everyone understood what was viable. And, and fundamentally, we're very happy for them to have formalized these new ordinances, which spell out a series of very common sense rules. So they, uh, they're prohibiting people blasting in, at nighttime. We think that we never plan to blast at nighttime anyway. We don't think it's a safe practice. Uh, so we weren't intending to do it. Um, they're prohibiting blasting on certain holidays. That's completely sensible as well. Happy to do that. They have certain uh, berms they want people to construct around activities, fencing certain heights. All again, common sense. Um, for the most part, things we already plan to do. There'll be some minor adjustments and it may cost a little bit more money here or there, but that's okay. It's the right thing to do. So, um, you know, we're in the early stages of that process. We have, um, we've applied for our state mining permit. We'll have a public hearing on that, uh, that, that I think everyone wants to have. That'll be at, uh, at some point in November. And uh, we think that'll be a good hearing focused on kind of the substance of, of the issues. And then, and then the permitting process will run its course. We'll reply to questions as we're asked and, uh, and we're optimistic uh, we'll receive the permits and ultimately the county approval uh, during, during 2022. Okay, that's great. And uh, just North America again focused. I see some announcements from Ford and SK. I think it's Blue Oval. It's called with 129 gigawatt hours of planned cell capacity. And as I mentioned earlier, Redwood talking about 100,000 tons cathode, I think by 2025 and 500,000 by 2030, uh, you know, lots of ambitions around recycling. And of course there will be uh, rejected cells and so on that will supply that, but still gonna need a huge, huge amount of, um, 
of uh, hydroxide if they're going the SK you know, route. So uh, obviously positive for you. Yeah, it's really massively positive. It, it all is. I mean, there, you know, you've been following the industry very closely for years, and so have I. And the, um, you know, Benchmark has done a really good job with these kind of gigafact tracking gigafactories, battery gigafactories. And the U.S. has been the laggard by far, obviously. And that's okay. I've always had the view that the market would speak and the time would come, and and it's coming. And Tesla's been a leader here, obviously, but. Um, uh, LG has been uh, making big commitments. General Motors has been making big commitments. The SK itself has been making important commitments. The Ford SK, kind of the Blue Oval SK announcement was massive. Uh, I think the number was, um, well, well, they're, they're going to need, uh, you know, I think you said the number, but they're going to need 100, 100, 100 to 125,000 tons a year of lithium hydroxide for those three facilities alone. And that's more than that's more than essentially all the projects currently planned to produce lithium hydroxide in the U.S. could possibly produce. Um, so it's interesting. You've also seen, uh, and you mentioned Redwood, the missing link in the U.S. has been cathode capacity. Redwood's very focused on that. And I think for a couple of reasons, I think Redwood's business is recycling principally, and that's important. But fundamentally, the recycling story is really a 2040s story, in my view, and to some extent, a 2030s. There will be some, it'll be important. We're going to get involved ourselves. But there's not going to be dramatic revenue from um, recycling until we have a lot of used cars, <laughs> 10 plus year old cars, and, and we're just not going to have a lot of those for a long time, in my view. Um, so that's uh, so. But the cathode is critical for kind of greenfield production, and and Redwood Committee capital and their know-how to that is really important for us. I think everyone will benefit from that. We think you'll see other cathode companies invest aggressively as well. And fundamentally, as you have uh, written, the U.S. is a kind of SUV and pickup truck market, long range vehicle market, it'll be hydroxide dominant. Our project will be pure hydroxide. Uh, it is interesting to see more and more people talking about hydroxide. Standard Lithium had a nice announcement of this morning. Um, uh, Thacker Pass also last week. Everyone's talking about bringing more capacity to the US, which we desperately need. And if we all succeed, we're still going to be short and be requiring lots of material from, from outside. But fundamentally, there'll be great demand in the US. It'll be for hydroxide. We think the car companies and battery companies ultimately will prefer spodumene sourced hydroxide, just given it's the probability of success. If you're committing billions of dollars to build battery plants and automotive plants, and there's any risk that the lithium source you commit to might not be commercialized, and I think that risk exists in a lot of other projects, that's a big risk to take. Company presentations, you highlight a carbon footprint for hydroxide from spodumene at the same level as what hydroxide would be from South American brines, carbonate converted to hydroxide, but with a smaller land footprint and less fresh water. How's, how's that possible? Yeah, no, we've, you know, this is a very important subject for uh, everyone these days. It's an important subject in our communities. It's a very important subject from a um, automotive company's perspective and is very important for institutional investors. So we commissioned a group called Minviro, who I think you know, to do a life cycle analysis or assessment of our, of our Carolina Lithium project. And Minviro is very focused on in incorporating scope three emissions into their studies. So you see a lot of people talking about their emission profile and they talk about scope one and two. They don't talk about scope three. So in the Atacama Desert, so we're, where SQM produces 
lithium hydroxide in the US from brine. Uh, the good news is they use solar evaporation. So by definition, that's a carbon free, relatively carbon free process. That's the good news. The bad news for them is they need substantial reagents in their process. And those aren't in Chile. They have to ship them in from you know far distances. So they have to ship soda ash, for instance, in from uh, Wyoming. And you know, we'll be a shipping soda ash in as well, but it's far, far less transport distance and far less imposition. So when Minviro does their studies, they look at SQM, they look at a series of different projects in Australia on the spodumene side. And really what they've been looking at is the incumbents who are producing spodumene concentrate in Australia, shipping it to China to be converted in a sulfuric acid roast process. And if you incorporate all the emissions in that process from a carbon perspective, we have less than half the emissions of the Australia to China route and very comparable to SQM in Chile, which was a surprise to us, frankly, we're very happy about it. Part of it is that we've made some really important adjustments to our process. So we're, we're gonna use solar, solar electricity for all of our concentrate activities. That wasn't the initial plan. We're gonna replace a lot of our diesel truck fleet with electric uh, conveyors, uh, which will be, and we originally did that not for LCA purposes and emission purposes, but bless you too, but to, um, to lower operating costs and to lower kind of the noise and dust profile of our project in the area we live in. And, and uh, but it has real benefits there as well. And our location is just a great benefit at every level from a cost perspective, from every, every level, every, everything we'll need will, will be, will ship shorter distances in our case than anyone else's. Uh, the other two points you mentioned, the other footprints, when Minviro looks at it, they look at carbon, land, and water. So our land footprint is dramatically less. I think it's 170th of the land footprint of, say, SQM in the Atacama. And, and largely that's because when you have a solar evaporation process, you need to have these massive evaporation ponds, which are quite shallow. If they were deep, the evaporation would take a lot longer. So they're very, they take a massive footprint, 70 times per ton of hydroxide capacity. Well, we'll take up. That's just incredible. It's big. Those are big numbers. And then from a water footprint perspective, uh, water impact perspective, that's a process that pumps brine water from the aquifer and evaporates it in the driest desert in the world. That has that requires a lot of liquid, A, and B, it, uh, they're doing it in an area that's very arid. So it's the driest desert in the world. And we'll introduce some new data, public data in our upcoming presentation, which will kind of make that comparison, not only how much less water we use, but how much more we have available. North Carolina is resource rich in many ways, but certainly from a freshwater perspective. Quebec will be as well, and so is Ghana, interestingly. So um, yeah, no, the project's exceptionally well positioned from uh, an environmental perspective. And from a corporate perspective, we've done a lot of work on the kind of governance perspective and sustainability perspective. And we'll have our first sustainability report published later this year. And uh, it'll be somewhat aspirational in that we're not currently producing, but it'll address kind of our strategy on all these factors. And, and we think position us very well with investors and ultimately customers.